to everybody who is all over the place today. I know that there are a few of us who are being load shed and or had transformers blow up and all sorts of stuff. But we together. I love this. We are like this. The Church of Jesus is always like this juggernaut that rides through history. We find a way um, and we can be together this morning. So it really is so good to be with you this morning. So I'd like to pray if I can, and then we're going to jump into this morning's sermon. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you that we can be together. Lord, thank you for your presence, even now, Lord, where we are, even in our homes across the city and beyond, even beyond um, Johannesburg and Gauteng. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you that right now, Lord, you want to speak to us, that you've got, um, yeah, Lord, you've got um, pearls of wisdom for us, Lord. You've got instruction and you've got encouragement from your word. So I pray that as we look at your word today, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you'd stir us up, Lord, that you would speak to us and we would be able to, Lord, just uh, in following you, Lord, be able to find so much more, Lord, in a season where perhaps sometimes it feels a little bit small. Amen. Cool, guys. So... We were going to be starting with looking at the specific seven giants today. If you've been, if you're visiting with us today for the first time, we are kind of heading out into a series at the moment, which we've called Truth. And the reason we called it a banner, we've just called this preaching series Truth, is because under that banner, there's a lot of space to preach some pre pretty tough topics. And that's what we wanted to look at at the beginning of the year. And, um, and not tough in, in trying to beat ourselves up or anything like that, but just some of the big topics of Scripture that sometimes get overlooked. And um, that actually God wants to stir us up in and God wants to speak to us and God wants to transform us. And so uh, what we were going to be doing today is starting looking at the specific seven giants that we would face um, in our lives. So a little bit of a recap. We spoke a couple of we spoke last week about how the children of Israel, when they were going to go into the promised land, when they'd come out of Egypt, they'd gone through the desert. And we'll talk about it in a moment. They stood on the edge of the promised land and the spies went in and the spies came out and said, it's a beautiful place, the promised land, but there's some big guys in there. And there were seven specific nations in there and each of those seven nations carry sort of a spiritual significance for us today that when we talk about taking our inheritance, when we talk about moving into what God has for us as well, there are also seven giants, if you like, or seven nations that rise up against us that we need to overcome if we're going to walk into what God has for us. And so... I often find that when we read the biblical examples, if you're anything like me, I'm a little bit critical. So I'm like, what's the, what the heck is wrong with these guys? This should have just gone in, you know? Why were they afraid? Um, I, I look at Peter sometimes who, when he walked on the water and then he saw the storm and he sunk when he was walking towards Jesus. I look at Peter, I'm like, well, I wouldn't have sunk. I would have looked at Jesus. But, you know, I look at some of the storms that are going on at the moment, this Hurricane Eloise that just blew through Mozambique. I've been seeing some footage on online and I'm like, maybe I would have taken my eyes off Jesus and looked at the storm. It would have been a bit hectic, you know. And so I think for all of us, there is a, um, a, an, a kind of because we're not in the story, we can be a little bit critical, point fingers. But what hopefully is going to happen as we look at this, this series together, we realize we too sometimes respond the same way. And what's helpful about that is we can look at the handles and look at what God says and find freedom in that. So instead of starting on the seven giants today, as I was prepping this week, I just really felt like I needed to do a second intro uh, again. So we're going to start on the seven giants next week, but I wanted to intro the series again, but from a slightly different angle, if you like. And so um, I wonder if you mind turning with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter five. 
And this is right, so this is, we're going to shoot right early on in the story. Remember, we're talking about the children of Israel going into the promised land, going into Canaan. So early on in the story, this is, Exodus chapter 5 is talking about where God speaks to Moses before the children of Israel have even left Egypt. The Israelites are still slaves in Egypt, and God's speaking to Moses about how he's going to set them free. So this is from verse 6. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as the God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. And so here's the point that I want to make kind of up front of this thing. The children of Israel, when they arrived at the edge of the promised land and they're about to go in, there's a few things that were true for them in that space. And I want to quickly shoot through those things based on what we spoke about. The first thing is this, that the children of Israel didn't have a lack of desire to go into the promised land. They'd been beaten up in Egypt. They'd had all this horrible stuff. And Moses comes to them and says, God wants to give you the promised land. Now, they didn't believe, right? And then God had to perform all these miracles. And then they're like, oh, we believe. So they left and they basically sprinted through the desert. They were like, oh, they had a few moments of doubt, but they, they were like running as fast as they could. This was like the comrades because they just wanted to get to the promised land. God had promised he was going to give it to them. Like, this is amazing. Not only do we get out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, but we get our own land. This is amazing. They were super duper excited. So it wasn't a lack of desire. They had no lack of desire to inherit the promised land. Secondly, they weren't not in the right place, if you know what I mean. They were exactly where they were supposed to be. And the place they were supposed to be was on the edge of the promised land. That's exactly where God wanted them to be. They were, in, they were on the edge of the promised land and they'd sent the spies in to scope it out. So in terms of the place in their life, they were exactly in the right place where they should be, right where God wanted them. Number three, they didn't have any lack of instruction or knowing what to do. They knew exactly what they had to do in that moment. Right in Exodus 5, God has said to them, I will bring you to the land. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So they knew exactly why and, and how to go into the promised land, right? I will bring you to the land. There was no lack of instruction. So they knew what the job was. They didn't get to the edge of the promised land and go, now what? God was like, I'm going to give you this land. It's right in front of you. And lastly, they also, it wasn't a lack of knowing that God could smash the giants, that God couldn't come through for them, that God wasn't supernatural. They knew that God was supernatural, right? They knew that God was all powerful. And that was, an, that was like an amazing thing for them, right? But they, the thing is, when Moses spoke to them, right, it wasn't that they didn't believe um, Moses because they had seen God come through for them in the promised land, they, oh, sorry, not in the promised land, they'd seen God come through for them coming out of Egypt. They knew, 
right? That God was going, they, they knew that God had taken them through the Red Sea. They'd seen all the plagues, right, that had, had come about. God had um, struck down the Egyptians. So they knew that God could operate supernaturally, right? And st- strike down those giants just, just as he struck down Pharaoh. So here's the thing. Despite all four of those things that had happened, all four of those, those things, the Israelites still didn't go into the promised land. And that's quite a challenge to us, friends, because I think sometimes when I look at my own life, I think to myself, if I've got the desire for my inheritance, if, I've got, if I'm in the right place, if I know what to do and I know that God can do it, everything will be fine. But the truth is, friends, despite all four of those things being in place, the children of Israel still didn't go in. And that's what I want to talk about today to set us up, because there is another key that I think is that supersedes all of these keys. And it's one of the keys we don't speak about very often um, in the church, because it's not always looked upon as nice and fluffy. It's not always looked upon as amazing and um, the one we always want to hear about. It's summed up in this simple scripture. And this is the text that I'd like to speak about to us from today to us about today. It's in John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Today, if I had to title the sermon anything, I would call it love-fueled obedience. Obedience fueled by love. Jesus says this, and so I'm going to talk about obedience first, and then I'm going to talk about the love aspect. Jesus says, you will, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what I've come to see a little bit nowadays. This word calling has kind of slipped into the church and I love the fact, you know, what is my calling? What has God called you to do? What has God called me to do? And what we do is we turn what God has spoken to us into a sense of calling. But even when God calls us to something, it's not an optional extra. The thing about calling is it can sound like God's going, hey, here's an option for you if you'd like. But even in God's calling, right, his calling is still a command. So I've heard people say stuff like this, like, mm, I don't really feel called to pray. The thing is, friends, you don't have to feel called to pray because the Bible commands us that we should pray. You don't have to sit and wait for God to call us to pray. God has commanded that we should pray. When it comes to spending time in the, in the Bible, spending time in God's Word, it doesn't matter whether we feel called to spend time in God's Word or not. And, and I know this is quite hard and I hope this isn't legalistic because I'm going to end this with it's love-fueled obedience right it's not fear-based obedience or um, you know legalistic but God commands us these things he commands us to spend time in his word we don't have to wait for a calling when it comes to generosity when it comes to love when it comes to reaching out beyond ourselves when it comes to um, you know dealing with sin in our lives those are not things that we have to wait for a calling from God for He has commanded us with those things. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? It's so easy for us to say, well, it's not really my calling, you know. It's outside of my wheelhouse. It's outside of my preference. It's outside of my comfort zone. It doesn't matter, friends. The point is, that's how we grow. And we'll look at it in a moment, that as we are obedient to God's commandments to us, that's how we grow. And actually, that's how love is fueled. So in Numbers chapter 13, we read this text last week talking about this, the commands of God to us. It says, Now they departed and came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now this is the spies. The spies have come back 
And now they are speaking about what they saw in the land. So this has jumped forward. They told them, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in it are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. That's the giants, the big guys. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone, as spies as a land that devours its inhabitants all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature there we saw the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sights and so we were in their sights and here's the thing despite all of those four things that i mentioned up front god is powerful enough they're in the right place they knew what to do right they wanted to go into the promised land what they saw with their eyes and what they heard with their ears from the spies that came back superseded all of that. So what their senses told them, what the world around them, what the culture in that moment was, as it spoke to them, that was what dictated Israel's next move. It didn't matter all of the things that had gone before. And it didn't matter, right, the command of God. And so I'd like to look at a, a text quickly because... Uh, just to kind of explain this. So when God commands us to do something, right, we should just act on it, right? We should be, we should just respond to God's commands. Yes, I get that. But how does that work? Because I think for some of us, it's like, but I, I want to, but I am afraid. And how do I respond when God speaks to me and he commands me to do something? There's an interesting text. You might have heard this quoted, and it's often used as a line in songs. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Now, that's not the true translation of the text. The real text in John chapter 8.36 says this. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's quite different to who the Son sets free is free indeed. Who the Son sets free is free indeed is true, right? But it's true after this text. The text says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, that if means that there is a choice. If God sets you free, then you'll be free. Now, is the if on God's side or is the if on our side? I want to talk about that. It isn't contingent on Jesus. It's not on God's side. Luke chapter 4, 18, Jesus says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set liberty, set at liberty all those who are oppressed. So Jesus says, who the, uh, Jesus says that I want to set you free. So from God's side, he wants to set us free when he, when he acts in our lives. So if the if is not on Jesus' side, then the if must be on our side. And this is the thing, friends. I've come to realize this. The if is dependent on our obedience to God's command. When I'm obedient to God's command. So the children of Israel, they were free in a sense because they'd come out of Egypt. But they weren't free in the sense that they'd taken the promised land. They were sitting outside. They were in like a holding pattern somewhere between Egypt and, and the promised land. But the way they were going to be free, the if of being set free by taking the promised land, 
They had to be obedient to God's command. So if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. But that if it's contingent on us being obedient to God's commands. And friends, I feel like so many of us, we quote this thing and I want to be free. And I want to do this and I want to do that. But I want God to do it and I don't want to have to change my behavior. I don't want to change the way I think. So we're going to be looking at these seven spiritual giants over the next few weeks, right? Look good, one of the giants. Feel good, another one of the giants. Be right, another one of the giants. Stay in control, the giant of a hidden agenda, the giant of personal advantage, and the giant of remain undisturbed. So these giants, right, are at work in our inheritance always. And unless we learn to overcome those giants, we will not find freedom. It's very interesting when you look at these giants, and I, it, they are insidious in that, and insidious, what I mean by they're like kind of a little bit hidden and, and, and toxic in the background, because they themselves aren't the sins that we do, right? To, to have the desire to always look good and to come across as someone who's like, you know, perfect and so we put the mask up and whatever. Like it doesn't seem bad. In fact, society applauds that. But the problem is that attitude, because those seven giants are manifestations or outworkings of our sinful nature. So they aren't sins in themselves, but they are sin. And what happens with sin is sin grows sins. So in my trying to look good, it forces me to sin. It forces me to commit sins. And what, what so often happens, friends, if you can think of sin as this tree, our sinful nature is this tree in our life. Trees give birth to fruit. There's nothing you can do about it. Trees, a good tree always bears fruit. And these are good trees, if you like. Not good for us, but they bear fruit. And so often what we do is we spend our lives just trying to pull all the fruit off the tree because we are horrified and we think that's how we're going to deal with it. But Jesus comes and he says, actually, I want to put an axe to the root of that tree of sin, the tree of feel good, the giant of look good. That When we kill that thing, then you won't sin anymore you won't commit the sins anymore and it's very interesting so how do i get free from them jesus makes a few promises um so we're talking about fighting against these these things now and i get free by um believing what god says and being obedient to his commands in the book of revelation i just want to pick out five, uh, five of these things jesus makes some promises to the church to the different churches there's seven churches that he makes promises to and he says something very interesting. And he gives them promises, but the promises are based on them doing something. So let me just read this too quick. Revelation 2.7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. And that's the one thing that is in every single one of these promises. To him who overcomes, this will happen. To him who overcomes, this will happen. To him who overcomes, this will happen. And I'll quickly shoot through some of those promises. And the reason that's so important, friends, is there is an overcoming that is responsible, that we are responsible for. There is a freedom that through our actions, as we step out in obedience to God's commands, and I'm not talking about legalism, friends. I'm not talking about earning God's favor. Please hear me today. But what I am saying is when God commands us to step out, he meets us with his grace. And I'll talk about love in a moment and how that works. But we have to step out. So here it says, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And here's the thing. As we, so he's saying, if we overcome sin, if we overcome temptation, as we fight against those giants, if you like, in our lives, what happens 
is we begin to eat from the tree of life. This side of the grave. It is talking about the promises that side of the grave, but this side of the grave, it's amazing that I think I can so often look at it, it can be hard to overcome temptation. I get that. And it can feel tough to to fight against our sin nature and to do the things that God commands us and sometimes to step out of our comfort zone and to do things which maybe aren't within our wheelhouse. We don't feel called to, if you like. But as we do that, I wrote this down, every time you choose to do God's will instead of our own, we lay hold of something eternal. Something is gained in our heart that has eternal value. Every time we resist temptation and overcome sin, we take a bite of the fruit of the tree of life. And that life begins to bubble up more and more inside of us. And, and, and friends, I, I've, I've come to see that. It's amazing how a little response, I've seen it in the, in the life of my girls, where they have temptation and stuff. And I remember Amber coming to me the other day, just so excited that something she'd been struggling with, she'd overcome the temptation with that thing. And she came to me, and she was almost in tears. She was so excited. She, that life of God had bubbled up inside of her because she'd won. She'd beaten that giant down. And this life had bubbled up inside of her. The second one, the promise that God gives, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Will not be overcome by the second death. Now it's talking about, now obviously we overcome through Jesus, what he's done. But this side of the, the grave, we also fight against and we overcome. And what it does is it removes the sting or the fear of death. What I've come to see is, as I overcome temptation and as I resist against the enemy and I do these things that God, I, I obey God's call, all of a sudden the reality of heaven is more to me. And I'm not afraid. Like I'm not afraid of the past. I'm not afraid of my past. I'm not afraid of my present. But I'm also not afraid of the future. I'm not afraid of where I'm going. I know that death has no hold over me. And I can look, I can look my mortality in its eyes and know, you know what? One day I'm going to be with Jesus in heaven. And, and the stuff that I've done on this earth counts in eternity, right? Maybe no one sees the things I'm overcoming now. Maybe no one sees the sacrifices that you and I are making now. Maybe no one sees the, 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 the struggle, but Jesus sees, friends, and it counts for eternity. The third one is, says, To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him. Who receives it and this hidden manner that Jesus is talking about here I love this because as we overcome I often uh, you know I, t I talk to people and even in my own life sometimes our times with God can feel dead you know what I mean you know when you feel like our, our quiet times our times of devotion just it doesn't feel like I'm being fed and I'm being nourished and so what often happens then is I go looking elsewhere I go looking to other people to feed me I go looking for spiritual food elsewhere but can I say this, despite our Bible school, which we're having this afternoon, despite our connect groups we'll be feeding there and, and, and looking at God's word, despite even the sermon now, each of us eventually, our primary responsibility is to learn to feed our souls. A sheep goes to the shepherd to be fed. Our primary responsibility is to feed our souls. And what Jesus is saying here is that as I spend time overcoming, as I spend time not giving into temptation, we keep talking about what overcoming is. What happens is God's word becomes more and more clear to me, right? When I pray for help in my hidden life, the hidden manner responds to my hidden life, the place inside where no one knows what's going on except for me and God. When I pray for help in my hidden life, when I'm tempted to impure thoughts, pride, lying, all that kind of stuff, I receive nourishment and power from on high, right? This is the hidden manner and it's given to each of us who ask for it. 
everyone with a longing to be free from sin, to overcome the giants. And I've come to see this, that when I'm going to sit and just give in to sin in my life and give in to temptation and give in to those things, when I call out to God, what, what is God intervening on behalf of? There is no overcoming. There's no wanting to be, um, to be obedient to his commandments. What am I asking God for? And generally, I'm just asking for my own selfish ends. And so God's kind and he's generous and there's an element of it that I can receive. But friends, it's when I stand and I resist that God is there in his glory and in his power and in his enabling. And it's amazing. I receive that hidden manna and I'm like, wow, this is so powerful. I'm actually, I could begin to see the transformation in my life. Um, fourth one, he who overcomes and keeps my work till the end, I'll give power over the nations. He will rule over them with a rod of iron. They will be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as I've received from our father and I will give him the morning star. So the, the ruling over the nations kind of speaks a little bit of our life after death in the millennium and we'll, we'll do a series at some stage talking about what does life look like after we die? What, what do we do after we die? Do we just float on a cloud in heaven with a little arrow and a, and a harp? Um, what is our respect? Isn't that? We do have stuff to do after we die. But I want to pick up quickly this promise that he says, I will, to him who overcomes and keeps my works, I will give him the morning star. I love this. In Second Peter 1, Peter writes, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. You will do well to pay to att attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I wrote this. The prophetic word is the word of God illuminated in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And when we allow the word to shine into the dark areas of our life, because it's one thing to hear what God has said to us, right? To hear his commands. But as I, as I respond to that, and as I overcome, and as I'm obedient to God's commandments, what happens in that moment, right? Is all of a sudden that light of God's, the morning star of God's light begins to shine into every aspect of my life. It's almost like as I respond to God's commandments, as I overcome, I allow that light into more and more of my heart. And what happens is I begin to shine brighter and brighter. And friends, it's, it's that thing that we desire, right? Like I want the world to see Jesus alive in me. I don't want to have to convince the world that I'm a Christian. I don't want to have to convince the world like to, to say to them, you know, I love Jesus. I want it to be visible and evident in my life. But it's visible and evident as I overcome. And I begin to shine brighter and brighter as... So I said, as I'm humble to take God's grace and use it to overcome the sin that I find in my heart, the morning star rises in my heart, light replaces darkness, and my entire being becomes filled with the light of life, which is amazing. And the beautiful thing about the light of life, there's no more guilt, there's no more shame, everything's in the open, nothing's hidden, it's amazing. And the last quick one, I haven't looked at all seven, but just these five. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, that comes down out of heaven. I will write on him my new name. And this is so, this is so amazing, I love this. Pillars can carry weight, they are immovable. And friends, one of the things that is in a world where there's so much sloshiness and so much perspective of this person, opinion of this person, and all these voices that we've spoken about, as I overcome, as I'm obedient to the commands of God, right? That if the Son sets you free, that as I respond to God, right? As He speaks to me in love and He commands me in love, I respond and say, yes, Lord. What happens is my feet become more and more secure 
because I'm not building my life based on the sand. You know, the wise man and the foolish man. Foolish man builds his house on the sand. The wise man builds his house on the rock. And the way I build my house on the rock isn't by knowing God's commands, but it's by keeping God's commands. And as I look at God's word and I say, whatever you say, Lord, whatever, I settle this fact, whatever you say, Lord, like I will do. As I settle that issue, right, I become a pillar and the most amazing thing is I become a pillar in the house of God. And the beautiful thing about that is it means that I become an example to others. That others can look to me and go, how? And my life is no longer just for myself. And I can encourage them and show them. And I, in a sense, Jesus is always our anchor in the storm. But people are able to come to me and find, why am I rooted? I'm rooted because I'm held in, in the anchor that is Jesus. And people begin, begin to find this answer. So as we overcome, and, and I mean, it says here, which is very interesting, I will make him a pillar. And making requires a process, friends. It doesn't just, Jesus doesn't just come to us in a supernatural moment. And that's why I said, who the sun, we don't say who the sun sets free. If the sun sets you free is the truth. Because Jesus doesn't just come to us overnight and go, all of my promises are yours. There is a process of walking into our inheritance. Just like the children of Israel, when they went into the promised land, there was a process of one step at a time, overcome this giant, overcome that giant, overcome this nation. It took them years. Cindy was, um, Cindy's going to be preaching in a couple of weeks' time. And Cindy was saying to me, what's amazing is, even by Joshua's life, by the end, Joshua was the guy who led them in eventually. By the end of Joshua's life, they still hadn't overcome all the nation. This was a long process of overcoming. Uh, and what happened with the children of Israel, eventually we see that they get tired and they don't overcome. And therefore... These other influences are always at play in their lives right through the whole of the Old Testament. And so God comes to us and he says, I want you to overcome. And that overcoming is not a one-off moment. It's a daily overcoming. It's a daily being res responding and listening to God's commands and living them out. Can I say this to you? Overcoming satisfies the if in the if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. As I overcome, right? Then the sun begins to set me free as I'm responsive. Jesus says, I want to set you free. But if I'm going to set you free, you need to do that. You can't hold on to this. I can't make you free while you hold on to this sin attitude. I can't set you free while you hold on to this unforgiveness. I can't set you free when you want to look good, feel good, all the, the seven giants. I can't. You are choosing those over freedom. But as you release them, I will set you free. Can you see it? I will give you the power as you take the step. So... Here's the thing, is as we trust Jesus and we resist temptation, obey his commands and allow him to transform us, we are set free. So I want to finish with this quickly. I said it is a love-fueled obedience. So what about love? What about this is love? Here's the question. The children of Israel knew that God could, but the question was, would he? And I think that's the question for all of us, right? John 8, 36, the text we just read, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. But the question is, I know Jesus can set me free, but will he? And friends, this is, this is the crazy picture of this, that so often, if I had to ask myself the question, I know God can, but would he do it for me? And if I don't believe in the love of God, I don't believe that he has done everything, and I'll look at what, what the Bible says about that. If I don't believe that his love is completely set on me, and that he is completely committed to me and he loves me with a love that never goes out 
despite my behavior. He loves me with a love that I have never experienced before. A love that you cannot love anymore because he is love himself. If I'm not absolutely convinced of that, what happens in the moment is I think God could, but maybe he wouldn't. And because I'm not sure that he would come through for me, I'm going to pick fear over the faith in God. It's a little bit like this. When I was growing up in Durban, I was a bit of a scaly guy. Um, I'm still a scaly guy, but I was less, I was more scaly back then. And what we would always do is like, you'd have this thing of like, if you're going to get into a fight with someone, you'd always tell them like, the guy would say, I'm going to bring my friends. And then I'd be like, well, I'll, I'll bring my friends and my friends are bigger than your friends and whatever. But if I'm going to get into a fight with someone and I know I've got a monster of a hulking friend next to me, I don't care how big the guy is in front of me because the question is not, can I beat that guy? The question is, can my friend beat that guy? And if I know my friend can beat that guy, I'm as cocky and arrogant as, the, as anyone. I'm like, Ooh, and I'll be calling his mom all kinds of names and all kinds of stuff. I'll just be giving this guy gears because I know my friend will beat him up. But if I don't know that my friend's going to step in for me, if I don't know that, it makes it very different. And so here comes to dealing with giants. It's not about me and the giant. It's about Jesus and the giant. It's about my relationship with Jesus. Because if I know that Jesus will step in on my behalf, I'm prepared to take on anything that's in front of me. And that's the big issue, friends. That's why I asked. It's, it's a love issue, ultimately. If I know that Jesus loves me and he's at work in my life and he will step in at any level to intervene as I take these things on, then I'm prepared to take those things on. But if I feel like it's all up to me, that I've got to do it, to kind of earn this relationship or prove this relationship. Friends, I'm dead in the water before I've even started. And so my encouragement to us today is this love here between me and Jesus fuels this relationship here. What I love about in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. There's two kinds of fears here, and, and when the Bible says that um, in 1 John 4:18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. For fear is to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's that awesome respect that I have for God. That wow, He's incredible. He's all powerful. But it says that it is the beginning of wisdom. But friends, this text tells us the 1 John 4:18 says that when we are perfected, we are perfected in love. And we need, to, I'm not saying we ever lose our fear of God at all. With that awesome respect and that incredible, He is God and I live with that, that, that awesome fear of God. But that fear has to be perfected in love ultimately. And if I'm living with a fear of the world, right, that's the only thing that's in front of me and I'm not, I haven't been perfected in love this way. Friends, whenever a giant screams, I'm going to go running. And he rattles my chain, I'm going to do exactly what he told us. Jesus loves us with an unrelenting love. So here's the cycle as I finish off. Jesus says, deal with this issue in your life. So go, Okay, cool. I'm, maybe I don't believe, I'm just, but I'm just going to step out in faith. And as I step out and I take that giant on, Jesus steps in on my behalf and he overcomes that giant. What happens? My love for him grows. My trust in him grows. Wow. Look what God did in my life. I've overcome this thing. That's amazing. So the love grows. Therefore, the next time he commands me, it's easier for me to respond. And it's easier for me to be obedient. And then I overcome and I, I beat that thing. Jesus steps in and he is at work in my life and he transforms. And I overcome that giant and the love grows. And these things feed each other and I move from one degree of glory to the next. That has always been God's intention for us, friends. 
And so can I encourage us today about this love-fueled obedience. God has such an incredible plan for us, friends, but it doesn't come cheap. Jesus' salvation is for free, but taking our inheritance, friends, requires overcoming, not rules and regulations. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about being obedient to what Jesus has called us to in this love relationship that he has for us. Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, you can send us your contact details to cindy at centerchurch.co.za where we can include you in our online connect groups and you can receive our daily devotional. Secondly, you can hop on our website where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Centre Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Centre Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing Sunday.